It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Auburn fans may not be happy with what happened on the hardwood this weekend up in Knoxville, but positive feelings about the football program continue throughout this offseason. All that and more on today's Locked On Auburn. Well, Zach, I, I actually just finished crushing some chicken farm, and I am freaking ready to rock and roll. You are Locked On Auburn, your daily podcast on the Auburn Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on into Locked On Auburn, your daily Auburn Tigers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Blackerby. Thank you so much for making Locked On Auburn your first listen every single day. And it's Monday, so we're joined by the one and only Lindsey Crosby at Crosby Baseball. He's the host of Locked On MLB Prospects and a writer at Auburn Daily Com. We'll get to basketball, we'll get to baseball, but football, uh, J.G. Tate dropped this nugget in the bunker. I think I've seen it in a few other places too, at least discussed. Um, but it sounds like the feeling is Javarius Johnson will be on Auburn's roster going into 2022. He's in classes right now, which you can be in classes and not be on the team, but it sounds like he's participating in workouts based on reports, and to me, that is huge for many reasons, Lindsay, but uh, there is a chance with the departure of Kobe Hudson that obviously the running game will go through Tank Bixby, but especially if Auburn doesn't get any more transfers, Javarius Johnson, I mean, the passing game could go through him like we saw it go through Kobe last year. Wow. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's... When I hear that, my first thought is like he barely did anything last year. That that can't be true. And then you like you stop and think about it, like who else? Well, who would else it be? is it going to be? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, unless you think John Samuel Schenker is going to pull a Travis Kelsey and catch seventy five balls this year, it's it's really one of those like okay, I guess it's Javarius Johnson. And you know, unless you're expecting one of these young receivers to take a step up, whether it's one of the underclassmen or it's one of these true freshmen coming in, and it's just so hard for a true freshman fresh off of high school to come into the SEC and play right away that it makes sense that it's Javarius Johnson. And he's a guy that I feel like is, is probably your, your, your big play guy mm-hmm. that if you have some sort of big play in the passing game, there's probably, it's probably because of him. He's probably involved in some way. And that really was something that we were kind of missing last year. This offense didn't really have that guy, to stretch the field consistently, catch yeah. deep balls, and take the top over the defense. And so whenever that happens, everybody can play closer to the line of scrimmage. It makes things harder on Tank Bigsby, and overall just slows down your offense. So if that if that does happen, if that change, if he does stick around and does play a big role, I think that does wonders for this offense next year. I was looking at some of the numbers as far as like where guys lined up percentage of snaps um, because it's – February, and that's that's what we do now when we crave football. But obviously, Kobe Hudson is no longer on the team, and he was Auburn's slot guy last year. He lined up in the slot 79.3% of his snaps last so year. Such a natural guy, but not, not for Auburn anymore. So there are three guys that lined up at a higher percentage, not more, not more total snaps, but a higher percentage just as far as, okay, how does this offensive coaching staff, and granted, there's been a few changes, but how does Brian Harson? view these wide receivers. And so Tavares Dawson, he only played like five, yeah, four of his five snaps were from the slot. So, I mean, I I think he could have a bigger role, but we'll just have to see. Javarius Johnson, 
lined up in the slot 85.9% of the time. But there was a, there was a guy that had one higher um, percentage who lined up in the slot 100% of the time, and that was uh, Landon King. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they use these bodies um, with Kobe Hudson being gone. And, you know, maybe there's a different ideology with the wide receivers going into this year. It's a new coordinator. We're not expecting it to be that much different. But, you know, Bobo's stuff looked different than Harson's stuff. And so that probably means it's, it's different uh, for Kisau as well. And then obviously, you know, with, with, with Ike Hilliard coming in as a new wide receivers coach, how is he going to view these guys? And, you know, what kind of control does he have over the wide receiver rotation? Who lines up where? So... My question to you is, do those numbers even matter right now when you look at the changing of the guard with the offensive side of the football? Well, there's a big difference in Landon King and Javaris Johnson, and it's like half a foot. Uh, <laughs> sure. I, <laughs> and like 60 pounds. <laughs> and like 60 pounds. Javaris Johnson's very much a short kink. Um, I don't necessarily know if what last year, when you have one guy dominate snaps at the position like we did with Kobe Hudson. I don't necessarily know if whatever's left over, if you can draw meaningful conclusions off of that. I think we'll get more information in spring practice as far as what the rotation looks like in the slot than what you can pull from last year. So Uh, let me, and I just said percentages real quick, just so so folks are aware of the drop-off in workload. Kobe Hudson had 207 snaps from the slot last year. John Samuel Shanker was second on the team with snaps from the slot with 180. And then Javaris Johnson, the drop-off wasn't as dramatic as I thought, 140 snaps from the slot last year. Okay. I mean, you would think if he were to return that that's probably where he's going to be just based off of how much he played it last year. Right. It didn't feel like he played 140 snaps at all last year. Never mind. Uh, Just from the slot. I'm right there with you. I was shocked when I read that. Yeah. Like, like, part of me is like, did Zach make a mistake? <laughs> uh, it'd be pro football really focus. Make an impact. It'd be pro football yeah. focus that made the mistake. Yeah, yeah. He didn't necessarily have the impact you would think of a guy who played 140 snaps in the slot, but that just kind of goes to some of the limitations we face with the offense as far as protection for deep shots right. and scheme and how things were drawn up and all of that. And I do think that of the guys on the roster right now, and admittedly not knowing a ton about these true freshman receivers coming in, like Jay Fair and Cannon Brown, yeah. I I do think that Javari Johnson's probably the best bet for the slot. Uh, and it's just a question of which Auburn quarterback can find him consistently. And in last week's roundtable, we actually had a, there was a question on Auburn Daily on the weekly roundtable yeah. about who did I think, who do we think would lead the wide receivers in production? And I think I said, I don't think we can answer that until we answer the quarterback question, because I feel like what's going to happen is every quarterback in this competition is going to have that one guy in practice that he connects with really well. And that's going to be his go-to guy. And so you don't know who's going to perform well offensively next year and be the key guy at wide receiver until you know which quarterback's throwing the ball to them. Because they all have different strengths. They all do different things well. And some guys are more conducive to to uncorking one downfield than others. Yeah, and that's a good point. That's a good point. And just when I think of a slot receiver, you know, I think of the security blanket. I think of the check down. And, you know, whoever wins the job, that's going to be important. That's going to be important for sure, especially if it's like a, 
a Calzada. Not saying he doesn't have a, a, an arm where he could launch it 50 yards downfield with ease, but I'm just saying I, I think he's going to need to rely on that a little bit more than like if TJ Finley were to win the job. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, there's nothing better than a, you know, than a calzone just hot and fresh out the oven to the, you know, t- to the slot. Let's there you go. go. That's it. That's it. Well done. I had a calzone this weekend. It was great. It was good. Love a good calzone. Yep, for sure. Um, real quick, before we move on to basketball, we said during, you know, the, the Brian Harson drama that the best case scenario would be for Auburn to keep Brian Harson and he to change his messaging and his approach to things. And I think we saw yet another example, another example of Brian Harson doing just that. And the fact that he traveled with Bruce Pearl and the Auburn basketball team, trying to connect with folks, um, trying to endear himself to the Auburn fan base. Uh, I mean, post all of the crap that went through, you know, that two-week period of just unnecessary stuff that we all went through, and I want to say other words, but I can't, um, I think he's knocked it out of the park. I think he's been great. Yeah, he's he's done all of the things that people have mentioned you need to be doing, all yeah. of the extra non-coaching stuff. He's not just trying to coach his way out of the hole. He's he's also going and he's he's glad handing people he's showing up to events he's being taken part with the, of the other sports and everything i'm looking for him to throw out a first pitch sometime soon oh yeah yeah i bet you he's gonna i bet you he's gonna nail it man strike oh yeah strike i feel for the catcher his hand's gonna be on fire after that one and hey, we'll talk about basketball in just a moment what is auburn's stance now going into the postseason all that and more. Hey, today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline.net is the place for all of your sports, no matter what time of year it is. Sure, football's over, but basketball's not. Heck, basketball's about to, to really heat up. And I told you guys this last week. If you do not go into March Madness without a plan, uh, you're, you're doing March Madness wrong. So if you know that you want to get in on the action and, and, and possibly make a little money, go to BetOnline.net to see... All the info about betting odds and trends and things like that. Um, And hey, if you want to do some futures action, uh, if you want to throw some money down on Auburn right now, uh, you probably get a little bit better deal if you think they're about to turn it around. So check all that out and more at betonline.net, where the game starts. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30, get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. All right, Lindsay, basketball falls on the road 60, yeah, 67 to 62 against the Tennessee Vols. And Auburn looked really good in the last, like, five minutes of the first half. Um, Good enough for them to jump out to a 31-25 halftime lead. And then they played well at the start of the second half. And I'm not going to lie, Lindsey, I thought it was over. I thought the game was over. And then down the stretch, um, Tennessee just bolted ahead. And, you know, Auburn's solid defense could only last so long until Tennessee started making everything that they threw up in the air. And then once they did that, the, you know, the fact that Auburn climbed back into it as late as they did to give themselves a chance with just, you know, under a minute left was pretty incredible. 
Felt very similar to what happened at Florida last Saturday, if I'm being honest with you. But in your mind, what is the, um, you know, how do they buck this trend? How do they kind of say, okay, what's happening is not good. Um, we've got to kind of figure this thing out offensively. What do you do? I think one of the big things, and we've we've mentioned it, I believe, on this show before, is people need to who are panicking right now, who are smashing the panic button. Uh, one, if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button instead. Helps us a lot more than the right. panic button. Yes. Uh, but but two, you have to remember it is incredibly hard to win on the road in college basketball as a whole and in the SEC specifically. And like we saw on Saturday, Auburn like. I believe it was what one number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, and number nine, like all lost on the road on the same day. That's Something crazy. nuts like that. Like crazy. six of the top ten lost I think it was, on the road. I think it was seven of the top ten. Which is seven of the top ten. I mean, and it was, it was I think we were bonkers. the only one we were like us and one other team are the ones who even played a ranked team. It's just Kentucky. It's incredibly I guess hard. One of the other ones. Kentucky, yeah. And of the of the four top teams in the SEC, I believe both between what's it? It's uh, it's Arkansas, Kentucky, us, and Tennessee right now on the standings. There's one home loss amongst all of those, and it was an early season fluke of Arkansas's. Mm-hmm. And so, when you get to the tournament, you're not playing away games. You're playing neutral site games. And Auburn has shown to be much better at home and much better neutral site than they are away. And even then, Auburn's been one of the better teams in the SEC playing on the road. So, some of that is going to correct itself. But some of the stuff that we're seeing, specifically the guard play, uh, you know, some of the subpar guard play, those are the things that are not going to fix themselves in the tournament. And those are actually going to be magnified in the tournament when you're playing teams with really good uh, backcourt defense and things like that. So is it sustainable to have Katie Johnson and uh, Jabari Smith play 35 minutes and then nobody else behind them really do much of anything as far as, uh, as far as points or Mm -hmm. anything else? I don't think it is. Uh, and it's if you had asked me a month ago, month and a half ago, I would have said, "Hey, I feel really good about how much better our bench is than everybody else's." Because a lot of our early season results, I mean, we played ten deep, and you'd have you know multiple guys in double digit points, and everybody had a role and was playing it really well. And recently, we haven't seen the bench be as influential when it came to those big plays and yeah. carrying the team. So I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to worry that that gap between us and everybody else, as far as the bench isn't as big as I thought it was. And yeah. so we've just got to figure that out. Yeah. I, I want to chime in on the bench thing in just a second, but circling back to the home records, I'm just going to go through the top 10 teams in the sec real quick. These are their home records. Auburn is 15 and zero. Arkansas, 16 and one. Kentucky 17-0, Tennessee 15-0, Bama 13-2, LSU 14-2, Florida 12-4, South Carolina 11-4, Mississippi State, that's important, that's where Auburn plays next, 14-2, A&M is 12-4. That is crazy. And then you look at the road records. This is a very good SEC this season in basketball. You look at the road records. There are two teams in the entire conference. This is for the full season. This isn't even just SEC play. It's for the full season. There are two teams in the conference that have a winning road record. Two of them. Auburn is 7-3 on the road. And Arkansas is 5-3 on the road. Tennessee and Kentucky are both 5-5. Then after that, it drops off. Everybody has a losing record. That is astounding. 
I mean, just to put in perspective how hard it is to win on the road, and, you know, all these folks are pointing at, well, Kentucky and Arkansas, you know, they're, they're heating up, and Tennessee, they're heating up, and it's like, well, Auburn, even though they've cooled off and lost their, you know, the last two Saturday games on the road, they still have a significantly better road record than everyone else in the conference. So, like, let's just, perspective is important here. But, Lindsay, like you said, the, the depth, which was originally the strength of this team, has changed. And, you know, we expected the rotation to get thinner once conference play started. And that's really Lior Berman. I mean, he's dropped off, and I think an injury had something to do with that. And then also, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, should he be playing 10 minutes a game in SEC play? I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know the answer to that. But, like, Jalen Williams is a guy where I would feel like he would regularly be, like, three of five or four of six from the floor early in the season. That's just what it felt like to me. I haven't gone and, and, and looked at the stats or anything. But you're not really getting performances like that. You'll get your Wendell Green nights where he's hot. You'll get your, you know, your Dylan Cardwell nights where he has to play a little bit more when Kessler's, you know, in, in foul trouble and he gets, you know, six rebounds and, you know, a few of those are easy buckets on the other side of the floor, that kind of thing. But you're right. You, you haven't really seen guys step up. And it almost doesn't feel like it's depth anymore. It just feels like it's, you know, Auburn's rotation is just drastically shifted for what it was earlier in the year. And I think the offense has become more guard dominant when the strength of this team is Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. But you don't win championships in college basketball by playing down low. You win with good guard play. And I think what we saw Saturday from the guards was better and I know that's not a popular opinion right now, but Katie Johnson was significantly better than he has been offensively. Wendell Green, he's going to have nights where he goes to a 15. That's just who it is. And, like, should he get to that point? Like, if you're 2 of 11, should you shoot four more times? That's a different conversation for a different day. Um, but I'm still not panicking. I still think it's going to be okay until Auburn loses in the tournament. And I'm not talking about the SEC tournament. I'm talking about the NCAA tournament because – I think they're going to do enough, Lindsay, and the way things fell Saturday is super helpful for Auburn because I still think they have a chance to be a one seed. They may have to outperform Kentucky in the SEC tournament because I, I think it's going to be one of them gets the four right now, that, that fourth one seed, um, and then the other one will be a two seed. So still, when you look at the Sweet 16 – it's filled with ones and twos most years. And then you get like one eight seed that's throwing everybody off and that becomes the story because everybody loves Cinderella's story. And we romanticize that, but that's not common. Ones and twos make it. But more ones make it than twos. So Auburn needs to find a way to get to that one seed, you know, and win out these last two games, which they are perfectly capable of winning in Starkganistan. And they are perfectly capable of winning, uh, winning the SEC outright at home against uh, South Carolina. On Saturday, they're perfectly capable of that. If they do that, they're the one seed in the SEC tournament. They win one or two games and they make it um, close to the end. They're going to be fine. They'll be a one seed and they'll coast to the Sweet 16 easily, I think. And then after that, it gets really interesting. Yeah, and and the whole thing about looking at the... I mean, Jalen Williams played five minutes, went 0 for 1. You mentioned Wendell Green, 2 of 15. Right. Um, it's, it's Zeb Jasper, two early shots. They don't fall. He doesn't shoot again, mm-hmm. you know, play, play 17 minutes, doesn't shoot at all again. And it's just, 
it's very hard in modern college basketball to capitalize on two big men like Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith. Uh, and when you are capitalizing on, on Jabari, it's because he's playing the role of a forward or a guard more so than he is playing the role of a big man who's, you know, six foot 10. He doesn't, he does things that six foot 10 people should not be doing. And right. so we just have to figure out the guards, what they're going to do uh, and how they're going to figure out between the three of them. You know, if Katie Johnson's on, how can we facilitate getting the ball to, you know, to Katie Johnson, having your starting guy, in a, like your, your leading assist guy be your center is not sustainable when you get to the tournament. And so I trust Bruce. I fully trust Bruce to make whatever tweaks he needs to make yep. uh, to, to fix the issues. And I expect us to, once the Sweet 16 starts, to have some fun. Those people who are pointing out the difference in records between uh, before and after Bruce's extension. Stop. What out. is that? What are they doing? That is, that is an arbitrary point in time, and you have an extremely small sample size that you are drawing off of. It is not statistically significant. And besides... It doesn't matter until he's finished coaching and becomes the athletic director at Auburn. <laughs> That's right. Bruce Pearl for AD, baby. Uh, Bruce Pearl for literally whatever he wants. Hey, and, yeah. and, and Charlie Five and I talked about this a ton um, on After the Game Basketball. It originally aired on ESPN 106.7, but it's in the podcast feed. So if you're watching on YouTube, go check out the podcast feed. It's Saturday's episode. If you want to hear our thoughts, we talked about it for like 45 minutes of the game. A very emotional Charlie Five, by the way. All right, we'll get Lindsay's thoughts on uh, baseball in just a moment. Uh, this is the time of year that a lot of folks are pretty much giving up on their new, their new Year's resolutions and you know getting healthy in 2022. But look, Built Bar makes everything easier. Built Bar, you know, when dieting and all that, you kind of get, um, I don't know, you get a little tired, a little fatigued, like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You want something sweet. You want a snack. Built Bar is the way to go because you eat it and you're like, oh, you don't have to feel bad because it's low in calories. It's high in protein. It's going to keep you full to dinner time, no matter how active you are. So it's it's a no-brainer. And so you can head over to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. You can see all the different types of flavors that they have uh, for Built Bars, or they also have some other kind of uh, awesome nutritious products there uh, as well. All at Built.com. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, Lindsey, before we jump into baseball, tell folks uh, what all you have going on these days. So I'm the host of Locked on MLB Prospects, available wherever you get your podcasts and YouTube uh, five days a week. Uh, right now, we are talking a lot of college baseball. We are getting ready for spring training for the minor leagues to start. So check that out. We have a great episode coming on Wednesday, breaking down the mechanics of the CBA and how it works. And I'm actually answering questions from the other Locked on MLB hosts about the CBA and the negotiations of what it all means. Um, but then other than that, you can follow me on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. You can check out the writing at Auburn Daily. Yes. Uh, and the merch at AUShirts.com. Yeah, you wrote a lot of baseball um, yesterday, as this goes up on Monday, of recapping the weekend. Um, let's just quickly go in chronological order, then we'll look ahead. So take us through Friday, and then we'll jump into Saturday's doubleheader. 
Yeah, Friday felt completely different from Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Friday, Auburn g- goes out, uh, wins 11 nothing against Yale, a Yale team that had not played baseball in 23 months. The Ivies did not Crazy. play baseball last year. I, the the Ivies gave the, t- the schools the option. You could play local schools only and you know, like a non-conference kind of thing, and nobody did it. So 23 months. Um, Jordan Armstrong, transfer right-hand pitcher from Chattahoochee Valley Community College, Absolutely played amazing. He Five and great. a third innings pitched, four hits, no runs, no walks, career high of love and strikeouts. Just, I mean, absolutely. He'd be hitting all the spots, laying down good tracks. Uh, he didn't allow his first hit until there were two on in the fifth. And so just, I mean, just something where he was in the groove, was feeling really good. And then Auburn's turning around and, and, and hitting a couple home runs Everybody got a hit on Friday night. Like everybody in the starting lineup got a, got a hit. Yeah. Um, our thick king, Sonny Tachara, had three and a home run. So just making his presence known early. And we were able to kind of empty the bench later in the game and get a bunch of right. folks some playing time. Let me ask you this. When you look at a situation like Jordan Armstrong, who came in and this was his first action of the season, right? This is his first Auburn action? Or did he play he, briefly last weekend? He... he he played in the Oklahoma game. He was the relief for Tommy Sheehan, and he went four innings of uh, scoreless ball then. Okay. So that's two straight great outings he's had. So strong start of the season, but we see these dudes, and the fact that he did against Oklahoma changes it a little bit, what I'm about to ask, but we see these guys transfer in, and then, you know it's their first bit of you know action at this new school, and then over the course of the season, they kind of lighten up a little bit. It, it, does he have what you think it takes to translate to like consistent SEC play? Does he have the amount of pitches you need? Uh, or, you know, or are they going to kind of get more information on him and then kind of be able to figure him out? Looking at having seen him now twice, I think there's probably two reasons you can say that he he does have what it takes to be a starter in the SEC. Okay. The first one is the track record. So last year, twelve starts uh, for Chattahoochee Valley Community College goes eleven and one, one point six five ERA. So he did it consistently for an entire season. Right. So you like, you do have some info there. But then two, having seen him, like you said, face an Oklahoma squad that is pretty good, who beat us, and then this Yale squad, uh, he's shown a pitch mix. And more importantly, he's shown the understanding of how to utilize that to get guys out. Okay. So it's not something, and granted, Yale had not played a baseball game in 23 months, but uh, he... He was making pitches. He was executing strategy well, going up there, throwing strikes, hitting his spots, doing what he was intending to do. And so I feel good about that translating to SEC play. Right. Okay, cool. Saturday, uh, game one ended in dramatic fashion. Shout out to Case and Howell for getting it done. What else stood out to you um, in that one? So game two and game three, both of them offensive troubles. We had yeah. nine hits together across the two games. And, as a contrast, I mean, we had 15 hits on Friday night. So we have we have less on both games Saturday than we do on Friday. But, uh, no, it's it's something where, like you said, Case and Howell walks us off. Solo home run, top of the ninth. Uh, I'm sorry, bottom of the ninth. We are tied 3-3 with Yale. Um, and, and that's the first walk-off home run that we've had since Stephen Williams did it in the 2019 regionals against Georgia Tech. So you kind of love to see that. The, wow. the, the, pl- the place was electric. But just something, you know, Case and Howell goes three for four, two RBIs and a run. And offensively, we just couldn't quite g- get there. Uh, we, we didn't have, like, 
we were getting into good counts, what Butch Thompson calls an advantage count, something where you're up 2-1, you're up 3-2, you have the advantage because they have to execute more pitches to get you out than you have to take to walk. And we just couldn't couldn't really catch up to the Yale pitchers. And I think a lot of that was we just had no information at all going in on these Yale pitchers. Uh, again, had not played baseball in 23 months. And so much of what this team does is their preparation. They're good athletes. They're good hitters. But so much of what they do goes back to scouting, goes back to being prepared for this is what this guy likes to do in these certain situations. This is how they play. And not having that information, I think, just made it harder for Auburn to to capitalize on the rare mistakes that did come up from this Yale staff. Right. Okay. And then, you know, just looking forward, Lindsay, I mean, Auburn, this seems like a pretty easy next slate. It's a ton of games. And you, you wrote about that a little bit at AuburnDaily.com. But to, uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, Alabama State at Plainsman Park, UAB at Plainsman Park, and then a four-game series coming up this weekend. Uh, against Rhode Island. So what are you looking to see for these uh, these next six games that are happening uh, before we talk again? So Auburn emptied the bullpen in game three on Saturday night, just trying to find guys at the very end there who could throw strikes, who could get strikeouts um, because Yale had traffic on the bases. And ultimately, those, those runners scored and they won right. the game. Sure. Uh, so one is seeing how deep some of these starters can go. We've seen mixed results. Trace Bright had a great outing on uh, game three on Saturday, six innings, scoreless ball. Joseph Gonzalez struggled and only made it, I think, about three. And so, one, seeing how deep these pitchers can go and then seeing how many of these relievers can come in, keep the bases empty, uh, and and throw multiple innings. Because if like when they were out there getting the leadoff runner out and having the advantage in the rest of the inning, not walking guys – then you would see them have a quick, efficient inning, be able to come back out and throw another. But game three on Saturday, four of Yale's five runs came from guys that were initially walked to get on base. And it's when the relievers came in and started walking everybody. And so so just Auburn being more efficient, uh, Auburn limiting traffic on the base paths. And then offensively, I want to see Auburn pitchers be able to take advantage of mistakes. I'm sorry, Auburn hitters take advantage of mistakes. Um, They've had some good at-bats. But I feel like, and I, I mentioned this last week after the Kansas State explosion, I said, I don't think this offense is quite there yet. We're seeing some guys who are pretty consistent. Sonny DeChera, our thick king, is consistent. Right. And that the name has is, been okayed by him and his mom. That name has been okayed by both him and his mother, yes. Though, that's so that's that important to note. Yep. Yes. Uh, he is batting 545 with three home runs and seven RBIs on the season. Yep. He is consistent. Uh, Case and Howell is batting... He struggled the first couple games. He's batting pretty consistently. Blake Rambush at leadoff, whether he's in right field or third base, he's getting on at a pretty good clip. Uh, But outside of that, a lot of guys have too much swing and miss in there or are not executing the situational things they have to do to advance runners, uh, bring guys in. And I want to see Auburn fix the offense and really focus on playing station to station these next couple games. Right. Right. So we will see what they do. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at pitching at this point. I think over the course of it, um, the the bats will be fine. Mm-hmm. Last year, just watching these guys, it was just pitching. They just didn't have enough. And it, it seems like this early in the season, they're they're better. They're in a better spot than they were last year, which is encouraging. Yeah, you 
right now you could see a path to about four or five different guys being weekend starters. Yeah. And the good thing is for the most part, with the exception of Tommy Sheehan going longer in games, Joseph Gonzalez having the one bad outing, you've seen them do enough where you're confident that that would work. Jordan Armstrong, you feel great about him. Trace Bright, you feel great about him, you know? And, and so the question is just, and it's like Butch said last Tuesday, just do being more consistent with it, doing it again and again and again, so that the rest of the team under like just has the confidence of knowing this is the guy. And, you know, he's going to go out there, he's going to shut him down and that's going to take some of the pressure off of us to always be swinging, trying to get home runs because we're trying to generate offense to win a game, knowing that he's going to shut them down and hold and limit them. And we can just stay within ourselves, trust the process and we'll win this game. Lindsay, one more time. How can people find you here? You support you all that good stuff. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. My show, Locked on MLB Prospects, is on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can um, follow me and it. Subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, my writing's at Auburn Daily and uh, the merch, AUShirts.com. So a little bit of something everywhere. Hey, we'll be back tomorrow right here on Locked on Auburn. NCAA tournament is almost here and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.